TV Drama Podcast. I'm Scott, and joining me this evening, well, be it through the risky rush of the rapids or the dry desolation of a desert, our resident Viking has returned. So let's welcome back our Midwestern Northman himself, Dan. Hey, Dan, how you doing? I'm doing good. Good evening, Scott. Good morning, almost, everybody else. Uh, how's it going, guys? Well, hopefully they, hopefully they will be listening to us in the morning, because, you know, that's when we'll be putting this one out. Next in line, I don't know if she's champing at the bit <laughs> or chomping at the bit <laughs> to talk about the latest episode. I could be a grump and call her a chump. I could be a simp and call her a chimp or I'll just forget it all and call her Jamie. Hey, Jamie, what's going on? Hey, Scott. It's been nice swimming in your linguistics here. It's, it is what it is. Better to be a chimp than a chump, as I always say. I, I'm not even going to bother with the obvious why well, I'm a cunning blah, 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 because it's just it's too easy, but I do I do like the way that you've uh, matched your hair and shirt tonight. That's pretty cool. Do what I can. <laughs> I, I'm very impressed. I wish, uh, if, I, if I did that, I'd, I'd be shirtless, I guess. Anyway, <laughs> finally, <laughs> wow, that was that was wittier than I meant it to be. Anyway, finally, we have the a man. We have the pathos of Cliff Maine distilled through the facial hair of Rich Schweikart. But he's as beloved as Kim Wexler. Our, be- our favorite attorney, Matt Murdock. No, 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 no. Not that putz. He never practices law. I'm talking about Brian. Hey, Brian. How you doing? Hey, gang. How y'all doing tonight? We're doing well. <laughs> we are well, Brian. <laughs> Thank you for asking. <laughs> so, after our usual stilted intros, we are here <laughs> to discuss the latest episode of Better Call Saul. It's the episode that's got everybody a buzz once again, and that would be Fun and Games. It would be the ninth episode of this extended 13-episode final season. So, based on everything, let's get right to it. We're going to split this episode essentially into three somewhat unequal parts. You got the opening, that's a teeny tiny part. Then we're going to shift to Gus and Mike. That's a little bit bigger, maybe quite a bit bigger. But most importantly, we will get to Kim and Jimmy. That's what you're all probably waiting for. And when I say Jimmy, I can probably finally now say, without feeling compromised for the first time, in my opinion, Saul. But first, the opening. Okay, I'm going to say, I think it's pretty damn notable. This is one of the rarities that we've actually essentially jump right back where we left off. And by that, I mean we actually askew the the common cold open that has become customary in the Vinceverse, especially on Better Call Saul. So there's no cryptic, mysterious, what does that mean? Well, we'll figure it out by the final act kind of opening. Um, it's actually more of a montage of what happens in the hours after Mike has told Kim and Jimmy to go about their day as if nothing has happened. So we see various things going on with Jimmy. Um, now, one of you, who was it? It was one of, one of the people wearing glasses, either sun or spectacles. One of you had mentioned something about that sign. <laughs> I thought it was interesting that, uh, that, the, that the day of all days that they're putting up the Saul Goodman and Associates sign is the day he has to act like everything's normal. Um, so I thought it was, <laughs> <laughs> I was like, oh, that, that's a bit different than your normal day would be. But anyway, just, 
quickly, we, we run through all the office shenanigans with Jimmy. We see Kim dealing with DDA Oakley and successfully defending a client. And of course, we see Mac, Mac, Mike, and Mac. The part, I bet one of those guys is named Mac. I'm going to say one of them is just you know to clean up my mistake. They're cleaning and clearing the house. I especially loved Mike removing those post-its. By the way, I thought that was <laughs> I was like mm, the meticulousness, mm, mm, mm. and also the fact they put everything back in the new fridge. So that's kind of the opening. I thought it was pretty darn interesting. Um, there's a yeah. Little- I have a question for you guys about it. So let's get right to it because I want to hear everybody else now. So, so when I was watching this, my 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 main thought was, what is? Why does Mike clean up the uh, Jane death scene? Like, what's the benefit of Mike doing that uh, several years from now? Why does it like? Why does he do that? Because there's really no reason for him to be involved there, unless it's just like you know, Gus is is having him like you know, keep an eye on the Jesse Walt potential employment situation maybe that's the only thing that makes sense but it's just like at this at that point you know four years from now or whatever like why is mike there doing it why is he doing it by himself because you know he's clearly you know cleaning up a crime scene that saul is well or jimmy is well uh, aware of with other people uh, involved so just wondering what your guys' thoughts about that. Well, to be fair, they really wouldn't requ- one they wouldn't require an entire team to go in and do that cleanup you know, uh, Jane's yeah. death, as as heartbreaking as it it was, did not leave quite the uh, the the mess that Howard yeah. that Howard left behind. So really, it needed to only be a one man job, and rather than just have like one of those guys over, send the one you trust the most. Yeah, I think it's uh, deeper than that. I, I think that Mike goes and does it, and I think we see the genesis. All three of the main storylines we're going to talk about, this isn't just about Saul. It's about Mike becoming Mike and Gus becoming Gus. And Mike honors the civilians who are casualties in in what's happened. And and what Nacho's dad says to him sticks with him that he doesn't want to be like all the other gangsters that, that, that... so I think he cleans up Jane because she has a dad who's a, a decent person and Jane didn't really ask for what happened to her. Um, this is the beginning of Mike the Cleaner, who's sort of like the patron saint of the of the <laughs> civilian dead. Um, so I think he uh, I, I think that that's why he goes and does it. That's to keep a bit of his humanity. And it's almost there, like yeah. his humanity's locked in a box in the corner of the closet that's covered almost. under boards. Almost and like. that's that's the little piece of him that he hangs on to of who he was and who he wanted to be. I just don't think that Mike would be like uh, you know, knowledgeable about Jane's personal situation unless they were like, you know, already, you know, scoping Game out the, Walt Jesse. Yeah. Got the rundown. Now, this isn't about Mike. I know we're gonna circle back around to Mike's story arcs here, but just to kind of touch on this opening montage, I thought it was really interesting since I'm always uh, talking about our, our camera work and our angles and our lighting and all of this. There's an interview on MC to- um, AMC Talk uh, that uh, Michael Morris does. And he is talking about this montage being probably the most difficult thing that he has shot throughout either series because they did something different, not just opening right back up from where we left off 
like Scott said, but also this is the first time that they've done a montage that is one camera transition um, right into another transition. So the best example is like when you see Mike cleaning up the blood in comparison with uh, Jim and, and the ketchup, Jimmy and the ketchup. So just to have a perfect matched ketchup <laughs> to the color of the blood, they had like a whole stage filled with different samples just to get the exact color match. Um, every shape that we transition out of on one shot transitions into the same shape into the next scene. And they had to like modify their lenses. They had to do all sorts of stuff to be able to pull this off. Um, and it was like a 16 page montage when they had it written out. So it took a long time for them to make this successful. And I thought it was pretty exciting to see something different, but it, it was so different, but yet it still just like flowed perfectly into the way that they tell a visual story. Right. I mean, one of the hallmarks of, of the Vince first both shows is, uh, montages and the music they use to match, match them up. Yeah. And it's the expedience of telling a story through the montages. I mean, we, we, we basically get all three of the days, uh, all, all three characters, the day they spent is what I'm trying to say. Yep. yep. Um, so that's a lot of information we're being given there and they, and they didn't fall. And it wasn't like a time-lapse photography kind of a situation. It's more like you were saying all the, the different transitions. I did notice that. I mean, cause I thought, I mean, it's a show in both shows again, are known for occasionally having those fun little transitions from one scene to the next, where either it's a swirling cup of coffee going into something else in the next scene, whatever. But I noticed that, oh, I don't know if I've seen it quite done this way in this many times. So that was, uh, and, and the, the bit with Jimmy and, and the ketchup kind of made me go, oh, okay. Oh, you, you bastards, you got me a little bit with that one. That, that was a little bit bothersome. And he, he does talk about, it's an interesting article, you should check it out if you have the chance, uh, but he does talk about the importance of of the imagery in their storytelling and how it has always been front and center. It's never been an afterthought. Every single time they write, they write something up, they immediately start on the imagery because y what you see is what happens first. Right. So it's, it's, it's never an afterthought. It's always intentional and it's always first on the list. Right. And also, just to not that that Brian's response to Dan even needs any additional embellishment because it was pitch perfect. Um, the only other thought that would have occurred to me um, is also I think by uh, what Mike does on behalf. I mean, obviously he's working for Gus, but in a way, in a way, he's also working on Jimmy's behalf when he cleans their the house for them and do, does all that. Yeah, and, and what you know, Jimmy has now become mired in, and what ends up happening by the end of this episode. So, in in a way, I'm I'm not saying that Mike quote unquote owes Jimmy or eventually Saul, but in a way, there is sort of like a, a kind of a an, an an impression of a debt there. You know, like oh, this is something I'll do for him. Um, we also don't know what happens over the course of the next few years as far as what the relationship is that forms further between Mike and what was mentioned out Saul Goodman, as far as him making like he's Saul's PI working on his behalf. When we know, in fact, he's actually Gus's guy that that's one of those blanks that isn't necessarily filled in, at least not as of yet We I think we're kind of filling, we're filling that in ourselves and we're filling that on based on the information of what we've seen over these, of these seasons. And, 
the bond that might have formed between these two and such as during the Bagman episode when they were in the desert together and maybe how Jimmy might have grown in his estimation, you know, by drinking his own pee, even though he didn't trust Jimmy enough to tell him about Lalo. But that's a that's a story we're going to get to later in this episode, actually. I, I want to say I think there is an implication that maybe Gus is hanging out and working with Saul because uh, or that Mike is hanging out and working with Saul. Because Gus, again, asks, what about the lawyers? Right. What better way to keep track that, that you know, Saul never goes off the reservation than have Mike hanging out and staying close right. to him? That, that Gus, you know, Gus goes back to that. And we all know Gus does not like loose ends. Right. That, no. you know, it's a convenient way for Mike to repay a debt and also not have Gus be suspicious because he can convince Gus he's keeping an eye on Jimmy. Right, because up and up and up until the very end, there's always going to be that tenuous connection between Jimmy or Saul and the Salamancas, even if they're only down to Hector at that point. Um, there, uh, I also like beyond the things of of the different transitions and things like that. That there will always be the occasional image, which oh, there's a there's a handy dandy little metaphor there, and it happens during this uh, opening sequence. Um, it's pretty much I I don't know if it's that really part of the montage or if the montage or if the, or if that is the music has gone away at that point, I don't recall. So you can let me know as I'm talking about this. When Mike is burning stuff in the garbage can, um, when he's tossing everything away, it's towards the end of this. Um, and it's framed where we're, 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 we're taking it from the, the POV of the burning trash can. So we see Mike literally, literally f- framed in a circle of fire. A circle of hell, if you will. <laughs> so, I think that's kind of deliberate. <laughs> I think I know because every once in a while, there's like, a ton. There is a ton of 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 metaphors, if you will, in this episode. Um, I, again, this is sort of what that article was just talking about. There's, there's like they just threw any opportunity they had. They they threw one in because they're at the point now that it's, it's just like. This is the story that was always supposed to be told. This is the way the story is supposed to go. But we also want to throw things in for our fans. Um, and they they know that we see these things and it's part of the love of the show. Um, and there's, there's many of them throughout this episode. Um, also, one other note on the camera work, when you're talking about that scene with Mike, Another thing we have not seen them do in this show is how they are moving their camera. They're doing a lot more free movement than they've ever done in the show at all. Um, again, just trying to keep the speed because we always talk about how this show gives us these. Rather than being somebody who's in the middle of the conversation that's happening in the kitchen, you're getting the viewpoint of the blender or the teapot or you're the fly on the wall. Um, they wanted you in it. They wanted you to be in this one. Um, so you're not getting the viewpoint of watching. You're getting thrown right into it. Gotcha. Interesting. I should have read some articles before the podcast. But- can, can I ask a question before we proceed? Here's my question. And this this doesn't need to derail us long term. But I had this weird thought after watching this episode. And the reason I'm asking this now instead of at the end is Lalo's arc is over. But if... Is Lalo is is this whole storyline better call Saul into Breaking Bad? Is there like life before Lalo and life after? Is he that consequential that you know 
that that there is a world that exists before him and the world that exists after him, and perhaps he's the most consequential force in this universe now that we've seen what we've seen. I think oh, that's a tough one. I maybe not the front runner. I don't think he maybe he's the front runner, but I do not think he is the only the only true force. We'll touch back on this again. I think that this whole time we've really been watching uh, a show about what happened to Jimmy that turned Jimmy into Saul. Uh, that's what we think we're watching. It, it, as, as, as somebody on Twitter said today, I just thought it was, was great. Saul's always been there. Saul has always, always been there, but Jimmy was there too. But Kimmy is the one, or Kim, sorry, Kim is the one who we, who really is the before, the after. Kim is the driving force. Dan, would you like to weigh in before I say something? No, go for it. Okay. Um, it's an that, that's a very interesting question, Brian. And I can see taking that POV, and it's and as far as as far as Gus's storyline and his character's through line from this point on. I would say absolutely. Yeah, with um, Gus, I, I would agree. As far as Jimmy slash Saul, however we want to refer to him, um, gonna get have to get used to actually starting to call him Saul again. Um, while he might be the trigger on that moment, that's true. But for me, I could also I'm gonna, I'm gonna be a, I, I could be a smart ass and go. Oh, I can go back and say Ken wins. If if not for Ken wins, this none of, none of this ends up happening <laughs> because you know then then Kim and Jimmy never have that first little scam and she never gets a taste of the life and she never starts to go down that road after the course of the next few seasons. I actually, but that that would be me being somewhat of a smartass. Um, although there is truth there. Uh, I mean, yeah, can I point out? I can point out that the uh, the skateboarders get Howard killed then because that kind <laughs> of uh... <laughs> the skateboarders. <laughs> But you know who I'm. Go- but you, you know who I might want to lay the lay, whose feet I might want to lay it at. I'm I'm almost more inclined to lay it at the feet of Chuck than I am to lay yeah. it at the feet of Lalo. Ba- basically, Chuck treats Jimmy differently the whole time, and you know from from childhood on, we don't have the slipping Jimmy Jimmy Saul thing happen the way it unfolds. Everything that happens at that law firm does not go that. None of that ever happens. None of that happens in that way, and what and, and what Jimmy says again. Since we've already, it's okay to skip ahead because we've all watched the episode. Everybody else has watched it too, so it's okay to do that. It's interesting um, what Jimmy says in that later scene when speaking with Howard's wife slash widow. Let's call her the widow, I guess. Um, the interesting contrast between him and Kim is like what Jimmy is saying. Jimmy is saying actually the truth as opposed to what Kim ends up saying. And that's very, it's a very solid point that he makes and, and true. And it's all about, and it's key to his nature and where he, where he was and where he is as far as his feelings with his brother and how his brother felt about him and how his brother treated ha- and thought about Howard as well. Um, I, I think you can, you can trace it all the way back. I would trace it all the way back to that as far as when we're looking at the through line of, of, of the Jimmy McGill to Saul Goodman thing. It is kind of funny, Jamie, that you, you mentioned the, um, the Saul was always there thing. Because what does this very much sound like what we're talking about? It sounds like every time we would have a conversation about Walter White 
and we talk about him turning. And it's like, well, it was always there. You can go back to him with gray matter and his ego and whatever. So you can almost say Heisenberg was always there. We were just, we were just waiting for it to, you know, finally come into bloom. Right. So it's eerie how you, you can see that, par- it's that, that parallel once again. Yeah. Well, I, I just asked the question. That's a great um, question. My, my thought process on, on it is definitely the way Gus conducts business has changed forever. The way his security is handled and the way Mike handles that has changed forever because Lalo almost got him. Very true. Um, so I think the Gus we see... Lalo is the main reason for the guests, the the more ruthless, even more um, business-like guests later. The the big thing about Lalo to me in this story is, um, yeah, I think I think Jimmy eventually becomes Saul because he nothing, he's never satisfied. Mm-hmm. But I, I don't know that without the trauma of what Kim saw happen in front of her, that, that that goes off the rails in the way it does in this, this direction. Now they may have had a terrible divorce years later, but (laughs) this, this makes her immediately reassess her life in a way that that's immediate, that that's direct. And uh, so, so I'm not saying for sure, but, but I think, Jimmy, Jimmy may be inevitable to, to become Saul. I don't know that Kim quits the practice of law and mm-hmm. doesn't try to do something good. Or I, I think that this trauma for her, uh, you know, altered the course of her life irrevocably, but for Lalo. Um, again, it's not something I can, nec- I can't say you're out and out wrong. You're not out and out wrong at all here, but as, uh, as, uh, as Hannibal Lecter would say, um, it's incidental. I find Lala's connection what, what, and how it impacts him to be more incidental as, as opposed to something that's been a major part and an ongoing thing for a character transition. Uh, I do think, um, based on Jimmy's track record and how eventually when you do these things, inevitably something goes wrong, as we've seen for the past five seasons. And, when, and the more you start getting into... Um, things that might involve life and death stakes, the more likely that would have Kim would have went in that direction anyway. Would she have been likely to see someone she knows be be murdered in front of her? Then she was responsible for that person being there. Probably not that. But then we're taking the then we might take the POV that so is she going to be continue down the road of being more and more ethically corrupt um, the way. Uh, which is where she would be sliding. I don't know about that. I, I think there would have come a time where she would have realized this because everything, remember, everything that Howard says to her, to them, is true regardless of Lalo coming in and blowing Howard away. Everything, mm-hmm. he, everything he says to them, even, and we might love both of them, but if we put, if we put our emotions through those characters aside, he's kind of right. The way they've been is kind of true. They might have misgivings. She, her misgivings went away. Her misgivings have been gone for over a season. Jimmy actually had more misgivings than she did until he started to get into it again. So I, I just, I look, I love the Lalo character and I, and he's had a major impact, but I just feel that, um, these characters were on that bad choice road already, so to speak. Um, Lalo just greased the wheels a bit to, to, to speed it up. 
but I think they would have been headed towards, you know, an intersection where they would have parted ways anyway. Can I stop with that metaphor now? I think I will. Yeah, yeah, and I, and I, and I, I, I don't disagree. It's an interesting question. The reason I ask it is my lawyer brain defending people who often, you know, do bad things. Um, part of part of what you do is look in their past to see why they are what's happened. Sure. Um, and certainly if, you know, someday Kim Wexler was in a lot of trouble and I was her lawyer and I was examining her past, you know, that her doing stuff to Howard, I, you know, would be troubling, but you would look at any person with major trauma, uh, you know, is a, is a major bookmark in their life. It may not be the reason, but it's certainly a major reason that people even go become worse or, right. uh, you know, self-medicate or then avoid things or don't go to work anymore and their life goes off the rails. So, um, you know, just watching it and thinking it through that way and the changes that all these incidents happen to our, our characters uh, just made me I've been thinking about that question a lot and I just wanted to throw it out there. So oh, like I said, it, it, it's it's a great question. I love that. we It, it, it was an unexpected, uh, beautiful fodder for conversation right off the top before we got into the things I know we're going to be talking about. Um, my only I, I it, it's not it, it, to me. I have to be devil's advocate to make it that much more an interesting conversation the way I look at it. And I can, one can say, well, Lalo's showing up and shooting Howard. That's the major thing, and blah blah blah. Then I, and, but one can easily counter, well, if Howard doesn't show up there, that never happens either. <laughs> so, you know, so anyway, so let, let's get out of the opening. Even though I did want to mention that it was, I did like the idea that, um, and it was the first for for me personally uh, as far as. Uh, dialogue foreshadowing when Jimmy has throws out a line like and that's when we'll know we'll know we can forget I'm already like yeah whenever you say something like that yep. I mean I, I, the writing on the show is not predictable at all but that was one of those it's one of those little key moments I went okay I think I know why this is going to be a big deal episode I'm just I did now I just got to see how we get there but before we get to there, we got to get into the Gus stuff first, and we start to t- we've already touched on it a little bit. I will also confess, as I'm watching the this is when the opening credits are rolling during the the beginning of the, the Gus sequence. I think it's when Gus is going down to see Don Alotti or whatever. Um, you know, I watch the opening credits. I do. I try. I, I I'm always loath to pay attention to them because I remember. I think we we all remember watching Lost years ago and we would get pissed off if we spotted a name. It's like, oh, I, now I know you know, Jack's dad's going to pop right. up in this episode or something like that. Right. I noticed a couple names and one of them, I, I, two, two actor names which, who aren't, who aren't, who I don't associate with the show and one of them made me go, ooh, but we'll get, and I know, I know Dan knows who I'm talking about right off the bat, but um, we'll, we'll, we'll get to him soon. Um, I think our first major talking point with the Gus stuff is going to be uh, Gus meeting with Don Eladio at his compound. This is when the Don is flanked, but you got you got you got Bolsa there, you got Hector Salamanca there, and you've got the cousins there. And before I throw it to you guys, I just want to mention when I'm when I'm watching it, when I, when I was watching it, I had that moment where the cousins actually spoke, and I and for like about thir- at least thirty seconds, maybe a minute, or I was like, wait, the cousins spoke. I don't think the cousins ever spoke. And then I started like, no, 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 I've seen them speak before. They spoke several times in Breaking Bad. They spoke on this show. Okay. I've, I've, they just speak so rarely. <laughs> so it stands right. out. Because it's like, how do you think they got that bulletproof vest back in Breaking Bad? They didn't go, mm, 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 you know, whatever. <laughs> but uh, 
Plus, whenever they got to get Hector out of the, the nursing home, we've seen him speak. You know, anyway, um, I think this was, uh, well, I, I think it goes without saying, this is one of the key scenes in the episode um, as far as where we are, where we've been, and where we're going to be going in the, in the Breaking Bad series especially. So I wanted to throw it to you guys what you, th- what you thought about it. Um, if anyone would like to go first by raising your hand, or I'll just pick someone at random. Sure. Okay, Jamie, there you go. I'll go. First of all, it seems like every time they go to this, uh, to this fellow's house, there is just some amazing cars. And they gave us one hell of a shot of all those cars. It was, a good, it was good to pause, take it in. You don't see those every day. Um, and moving on from that, uh, there's obviously a few key moments in this more than anything that I know all of us were like, "Mm," you know, there was, there was some great, (laughs) great moments. Um, again, I will talk about, cause that's my thing today. I'm going to talk about some of the camera work. They lit that entire, uh, scene was just lit with the swimming pool. Um, and there was one of those little things we were talking about, those little hidden gems that they like to put in there. Um, there is a point where we get the reflection off of Gus's glasses, and the only light besides the swimming pool is of the little grill, like the little fire that they have. And you see it, and you just see it on the one side of his face um, where we know his end comes. Like the last scene that we see him kind of alive in, to just kind of give us a little foreshadowing on that. And I just, I wanted to point that out because that was pretty awesome. Um, also, you know, the ding, 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 ding is <laughs> going to be like one of the most epic lines that they could have ever, <laughs> ever put in. <laughs> Uh, can I just interject by saying I'm watching the scene and when I was actually, I'm, I'm actually like speak talking, speak talking. Wow. <laughs> That's dig- my favorite kind of talk. I, I love my, I love when I do the speak talking, not like that silent talking. Keep, keep uh, that up and we're giving you a bell. Well, you know, next time, I'm, I'm going to go get it in a second. Um, I can't believe I forgot to bring it over here for this, uh, for this conversation. Um, I'm, I'm making a note of the fact that I was cracking up about how many times Hector was hitting the bell like crazy. And then when Don Eladio mocked it, I was going, okay, <laughs> it might not be my favorite thing that character has ever said, because I remember that he, had, he has a few goodies uh, in, in Breaking Bad, but it's right up there. <laughs> that was like, it was so good. Stephen Bauer yes. just delivered that. He's... I, I love whenever Don Eladio shows up. He's yep. just, he's that that might be my favorite part that Bowers ever had, and he's had a very long career. Yes, and among some of the other great lines in that scene, we've got uh, the Chicken Man hates you, which I think is T-shirt worthy. Just saying, <laughs> the Chicken Man hates you. I, I, I think I know a guy that uh, that needs that <laughs> that T-shirt, or at least uh, his fan club needs that T-shirt. Dan, the Chicken yeah, Man hates you. The Chicken Man hates you. <laughs> I, I will yeah. say, uh, I think Jamie's pretty much nailed it. Uh, the scene was really enjoyable. I like the way they squared them off. Like Gus was sitting, being interrogated. Like his the way his chair was seated away from them. Like you know, he was sort of facing the tribunal. Yes. Um, I think the the best part of the scene to me is that we see here, and we don't see it as much later in Breaking Bad. We see that Don Eladio is maybe 
a little more with it than we think he is, that he's mm-hmm. pretty sharp, uh, that, that, you know, he, he gauges uh, Gus, but he doesn't say it in front of all of them, what right. he's gauged in Gus, but he does the calculus and figures out and, and who's going to get what territory, how it's all going to work out and delivers a, a kind rebuff to Gus about, you know, the hatred. I see a little bit of hatred in your eye. And and that's okay, yep, but that's don't right. forget who the boss is. Like, yep. so so we sort of see that the, there's a reason he's the head of this cartel, and when we see him later, he's much less uh, astute about all these players, and that probably is he he wasn't paying as close attention to Gus then, uh, right. but at this point he's a dude in full control of his game and uh and so and Stephen Bauer was just great it's great to see Stephen Bauer in this role well, they had Hector sitting there ta- like tr- ding 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 um and he's the only one that spoke to Lalo like after he was supposed to be dead so he was he's the only one that heard from him and so he has all the answers but instead of listening to him he he mocks him and makes fun of the whole thing and carts him out of there um, so he's definitely with it, but you see this little fine line where his, his, his comfortable ego, um, is going to play against him down the road and breaking bad. Right. Well, I would say that's also because this is the, this was the culmination of the flaring up with, um, Gus and the Salamancas up to this point yep. when we're in breaking bed again, it's four years later right. or something with, with them. And so, and the impression that we have, if we, again, if we connect the dots between seasons, um, between series, I should say, it's pretty much all quiet on the Western front in between. So that he wouldn't, so Ladia wouldn't actually have a reason to be thinking there'd be something going on with Gus at that point in the future. So maybe he has gotten a bit uh, complacent, so to speak. Um, maybe right. he's, or maybe he's, and maybe as the, 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 the drug trade has grown and expanded, maybe he's just one more step removed from all that. But, um, I was thinking absolutely, um, the reminder in this scene is no matter how much the Don Eladio tends to make jokes and treats things very light, there is always that dangerous edge to him. And you can't forget that this man can basically snap his fingers and you're dead. He's far more dangerous than someone like Lalo could be because of the reach he has. Um, so that, and, and that's why from, like from this point on, we know that's that, that is the target eventually for Gus. Cause you know, why is, you know, the biggest thing about that scene is also when I think is also Gus looking at the water. It's Gus yep. looking at the water. Yeah. And, yeah, and, the and whole, remembering. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Remembering Max. Yep. And, and I want to add, because uh, I just checked my notes. Sorry, Dan. I, I, I okay. forgot to add this that, that part of the problem with everybody's plan is everybody kind of got too cute with their plan. That, you know, that, that Lalo's plan to have a dude who had his exact dental records worked against him here yeah. because. You know, the the twins who are Salamancas say they saw the body and yep. the Federales confirmed by dental records it was Lalo. That, that you know, Hector, by not telling anybody and them holding it close to the vest, their awesome plan was great, except the only person who knew it couldn't communicate. Couldn't say it. A- and it couldn't come out and couldn't be verified. So 
Lalo and, and Hector's plan was too cute by half. And that's why, like, you know, that's why it yeah. doesn't work to tell Don Eladio. And, and to add to the injury, the one person that could have translated what the ding, ding, ding was, was Lalo. Because we saw him being able to tell what Hector was saying by the counting of the dings. Well, that entire letter had already been dictated by dings, I, I guess, to the, I think they said to the cousins themselves. And I was actually impressed because I kept thinking, do you know how long it must have taken? <laughs> <laughs> because it's, it, it's actually, it was a surprise up until, yeah. up until the they cousins, got to the chicken yeah, the cousins, man part. It was a surprisingly articulate and eloquent um, letter about the whole situation. And I was thinking, oh my God, that must have, t- must have taken like three hours to put this damn letter together. Yeah, because he wasn't using the board yet, right? Like they were just counting their letters out at this point. Like he didn't have the board that directed the letters that if, we see in Breaking Bad. Well, I think it, if, they, if they were there in person, they might have had su- such a thing. If they're doing it over the phone, like what Lalo did, then it wouldn't have been. So we, it's one of those things we don't know. We, there's no, there's, and, and it's not, and I believe the writer would go, it's not relevant. You don't need to know that. I like to imagine that the nurse aide that we saw in Breaking Bad who had the board was the one that was like, guys, there's a way easier, easier way to do this. Let me show you this. This We've been using this for 30 years in this department. I, I love the chicken man. So I want the chicken man to talk <laughs> since I interrupted him. I'm sorry, chicken man. Go chicken man. Go. The chicken man yeah, hates in, you. In, in Breaking Bad, when the cousins show up to talk to him, too, they think the first time they communicate like with him is using a Ouija board. So I'm not sure yeah. if they just kind of yeah. use whatever is available at the time. Yeah. Um, but when I was watching this scene, I was kind of wondering if uh, if it if um, Hector's refusal to let the situation go plays some part in the fact that he just ends up living in some shithole in the middle, middle of the desert instead of being kind of tranquila. We don't have any, like, you know, actual information about that. I mean, maybe Tuco just freaked out and brought him out there. But I'm just wondering if he just continues to just keep pushing, pushing, and then Eladio just kind of, you know, shoves him aside and sticks in the middle of nowhere for as penance. <laughs> I have, yeah, I have, I, I absolutely have wondered that myself. And at this point, especially in light of what happens at the end of this episode, called it. Um, I think that might be one of those little questions we might not ever get a, an answer for. So, but yeah, I have, I've, I've wondered how do we get from him being in, you know, Casa Tranquilla to, yeah, in, in the shit shack with two. <laughs> why, why would you think the cousins wouldn't be cool with that? If, if anyone, because look at the way that they kind of hold him in what regard. Well, they, the cousins probably were off doing um, work, you know, oh. they were off doing their, their intimidation game, but the thing is with Tuco, maybe it's just like Lalo seemed to be the one that was in charge of what was happening with Hector, and now he's gone. So, I mean, here comes Tuco. He's, I mean, he's he's not going to be doing the job so well, and he's not going to be le- as looked after. It's not going to be as comfortable, maybe. Um, but I, that's all I see it as. I don't think it's too twisted. He's just the next one in line to take care of the old man. Mm, just seems to me it would have made. I mean. It would have made sense for the cousins to bring him back to Mexico rather than leaving him languishing, you know, and and basically sitting in his own filth with Tuco there. So, but you know, we'll never know. Or maybe we will. Maybe. Or maybe maybe we will. Maybe we will. (laughs) Maybe be an extra on a DVD none of us will ever buy. (laughs) Anyway, um, what was I going to say? Because I I think we've yeah I think we're kind of oh there is one other thing to note about the whole thing. It's also um, just 
being aware of how well we, we talked about plans and you know, you're absolutely right about Lala too cute for school plan, but it also goes to how well things were planned out by Gus and on, on his side to have anticipated this. Cause uh, he, he goes, he goes into the, he goes into a situation not wearing a tie either. I noticed anyway, uh, I can't, I can't. it means something. I know it means something. <laughs> and, the, when they go through the whole question and answer session, they realize this, they, they, they've covered all their bases so very well. And it, 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 at this point, it just looks like, you know, the ravings of an old man more than anything else who's just, you know, you know, embittered from, yes. being, from his stroke and whatever else. It's, yep. it, 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 it's, it, 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 they, I would say he couldn't have planned it any better, but he did plan it. <laughs> so Gus gets home. Uh, I think, uh, am I going to skip to that now? No, I'm going to, let me just go on. Let me just do a story here. Um, he meet, um, he go, he, when he meets with Mike downstairs in the little escape tunnel, I thought they did some really interesting economy of storytelling here because they have Mike telling Gus and by telling Gus, they're telling us, the viewer, that the lawyers were with the cops all day playing it the way that he told them to. I just thought it was very interesting that they chose not to let us see Kim and Jimmy dealing with all that kind of makes sense when you only have six you only have six episodes right. or four after this one um then then, then they, they throw in all these little things here you know when, when mike mentions how they're going to need a new engineer and and the look during this scene when you know gus just wants him just just to get you know get everything rolling like right away the look between the, the two of them i think says more than any other dialogue does as well as gus closing the door I feel Gus closing the door on the tunnel and Mike, in my mind, he's closing the door on this completely. We're never going to see him using this escape tunnel, this, this whole uh, subterfuge ever again. Gus, we never did. He's I, I, never going to hide again. Exactly. He opened the windows. He's closing the door in contingencies because he doesn't feel he needs to do that anymore. He's free. He's free. That's why when he walks in, he opens all the shutters the way he does. And that it's that sense of freedom is where we and we get to that scene when he stops in that little restaurant, the, the fancy restaurant with the bar. Um, this is a scene I noticed if, if, of, of a couple things about the episode that might have gotten a few people, a few detractors out there, a few folks who might have had issues with the episode. Whether any of us do or not, I don't know. I didn't really speak to any of you about it, so that would be interesting. Um, but it's this... But the scene in the restaurant, and it's the conversation, the very friendly conversation he has with, with David, who one can surmise is either the owner or perhaps he's a sommelier of the establishment. Um, the character is played by Reed Diamond. I got excited to see Reed Diamond. Um, we know Reed Diamond from so many things. There's, a, uh, there's, a, there's actually an interesting connection between Reed Diamond and Giancarlo Esposito, as well as even a few other people. I think, I think even um, Ray Seahorn in one episode uh, from the show Homicide Life on the Street, which was an amazing show back in the 90s. Those of us who are S.H.I.E.L.D. fans know that Reed Diamond played a very key part in the very first episode of The S.H.I.E.L.D. I won't say any more in case you haven't seen The S.H.I.E.L.D. and you haven't seen that first episode, but everybody else, you know exactly what I'm talking about. Um, he's, yeah, I, I've always been a fan of Reed Diamond. He was he even played some, like, Nazi-like scientist on some Marvel TV show once upon a time. Anyway, so... There are a few things about the scene. I want to. I'm, I'm going to throw out a few questions. I'm going to pack, package them all together. A little bundle for you guys. 
and then I'll let you guys have at it. Now, number one, obviously, the first is, do you have any strong opinions about the scene one way or the other to begin with? Two, do you think that the scene is a further confirmation of what we believe Gus's uh, preferred romantic leanings are? Or do we choose, are we choosing just to read that into the scene? I kind of know the answer to that one already for everybody. And finally, the ultimate decision he has to leave somewhat abruptly before David can return with whatever hell it was he went to go find. What and why does that happen? I have my own answers, but I'm going to let you guys do it instead. And because if you say them, then you'll save me some breath. So, <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm, I'll I know you're going to go first, Jamie. Go ahead. Pattern rolling. Um, this scene was gold. Um, <laughs> I have I have assumed for a very long time that us was gay and that his partner Max meant more to him than just being a business partner and there's been a few other times that you know I think Lalo like referred said something oh he's mad because he got his boyfriend killed or something I mean like there has been little a little quip here or there so that came to no surprise for me. I didn't even think about it being a surprise to anybody. So I was actually kind of shocked reading the intranet replies um, the next day that people are like, what, what, really, what? I, I don't know. To me, it just never was that big of a question. Um, you mean, you I mean like, kind of oh, my gosh, Homelander is a fascist? Yes, exactly. That is exactly what's like, wow, how is that surprising? Um, but... There's there's a couple different things about this scene that besides that's that's not the important thing to me. Uh, the important thing to me is just like you were talking about how he closed the door on the tunnel and we he opened those windows and he was he wasn't gonna he wasn't gonna hide anymore. He wasn't gonna hide in that tunnel anymore and he was disarming himself, right? When he opened those windows, he was taking his armor off and he wasn't gonna be afraid and he wasn't gonna hide. And as we see him have the realization of how happy he is and kind of how happy this man is kind of making him, he goes to get that other bottle of wine and the same face that he makes when he's looking down into the swimming pool is the same face of real, like all the smile, the little bit of smile and joy we saw. We never see Gus this way. We see this and it wipes away and we get that same very like solid stare of realizing that if he gets into, if he goes further with this, he's not free anymore. He has to be afraid. And, and he chooses to continue to be disarmed. Um, and it's really, really tragic and it kind of breaks my heart, but he realizes like he has a path, he's on a path and it, he, he chose, he chose his career. I mean, to make it as simple as possible, he chose his career. He chose where he was going to direct his energy, his time, his thinking. And he, he couldn't be tied up with being afraid of someone else. He loved being hurt. So there's all of that, but I am horrible at pronouncing things. So I am not going to try to pronounce this wine. Um, but I think it's notable that uh, there's a great discussion about how this wine was made in the North. Um, you know, when he's talking about the wine that he purchased, well, I, I bought it to save for a special occasion. The, the wine is made in the North uh, and it just bounces right off the scene where we find out like he's in charge of the North. So I just thought that was a kind of fun connector. But then also if, <laughs> You look this, 
if you look this wine up, it's 1978. Its market right now is at four thousand dollars. So that kind of gives you an idea of when he says, "I bought a bottle," and he's like, "Whoa, you did!" How much money he laid out for that? Okay, that's that. Those are the main points that I have on that. If somebody else has anything, they need to uh, jump in with. Um, I second that. I love the scene. I think that. I see it a little different than Jamie in that I think he's feeling, uh, yeah, I think he's feeling a little invulnerable at the moment that, that he survived. He won. He was the victor. He went and won the, the conference with the Dons. He comes home and feels like all is right in the world. He's opening the curtain, uh, and he's feeling pretty good and he goes out and realizes like he has everything just where he wants it, but to bring in an outsider into this world would again, make mm-hmm. him vulnerable. And so yeah. he chooses yep. to bail. And let me just say about Reed diamond that I had not seen him in a while. Um, and you know, but damn to be talking about wine that gets better with age. That dude is aging like a champ. <laughs> I was yes. like, you know, he's a great choice for the sommelier because I was like, I haven't seen him in a while and he, he's doing pretty well. Uh, but I, I love the scene. And, and let me say, it's the mark of great storytelling that they've always done in this show. And that Gus, who's not a good guy, who's not a hero, that there's something that 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 we hurt for him in that moment a little bit because we see somebody that maybe if there was a little more joy in his life or he let love into his heart, maybe it, he doesn't become the monster that, that we see. Uh, so th- those are my thoughts. I think oh, there's I, also I, a great juxtaposition. Sorry, Dan, hold on. Uh, juxtaposition, his, his story in that room um, with the, the scene with Kim later. When with her and with her and Jim, Jimmy are it's it's like the same opposites, you know. Um, they're both making a choice of something, um, and one is let you know one's letting go of love to protect himself, and the other one's letting go of love because of love. You know, there's there's like there's so many similarities, and then there's like stark opposites, but it's all kind of in the same thing. I, I get the point of what you guys are saying, but I think you guys both misread the, the misread the scene pretty significantly because he makes a, he kind of he's kind of making a move for David there, trying to get him. To, he's very obviously asking him on some kind of a hangout wine date, and David smoothly rejects him, and then he just moves on. I mean, that's pretty much clear what's going on there. He's trying to do whatever, and he's David's just not kinda, that into you. Well, he he said, "Well, I'd love to hear about it." Clearly, Gus is asking him to drink it with him, and he just kind of, you know, brushed it off in a polite way. But he he rejected him. You know, it wasn't Gus just deciding he wasn't going to bring somebody into the whatever. He made he you know he made a move, and he was rejected. And then Gus decided, well, that's that, and moved on. He definitely was feeling like you know invulnerable and strong, and you know decided to you know see what he could do. But when it didn't work, he moved on. And I think if you so what we're ahead, Scott. so what we're saying there is. So, Brian, you can take your Lalo idea and, and stick it where the sun don't shine. Actually, David the sommelier 
is responsible for, for, for the road that Gus takes from this point on. <laughs> and now it's, it's all re- See, every show, Reed Diamond screws something up and, and fucks up everything for everybody. Hey, else. Brian. Brian, that was a polite way for Dan to say the chicken man hates you. Yeah, yeah I mean, you know what? I, I'm going to be like Gus now, Dan. We're done. I'm leaving. Tell, tell, <laughs> tell Dan. Tell Dan I left. I don't. I don't hate you guys, even though the like once every half an hour I try to say anything, you guys both keep interrupting me. I don't hate you guys for that, but or any raise other your hand, reason. man. Raise your hand. Classroom yeah. etiquette 101. <laughs> you see. You see. If only they had been roasting chickens over that fire in the Game of Thrones episode, Brian, then everything would have been fine. But, you know, oh, kitty cat. Um, look, I don't know what there is to add to everything at this point. I, I thought it was interesting that it, was, it might be the only opportunity we've ever had to see this side of Gus, really, to this point, and realize how his life choices um I pretty much cut off this part of his life pretty much ever since his partner died at Don Eladio's home, which we had seen earlier. Um, we have that reminder earlier when he's looking at the water and remembering how he watched the one that we all presume he loved, watching his life bleed away into the pool. What is the What do they say about the wine in this scene? The wine mm-hmm. tastes like blood. They talk about blood. the iron and the uh, the the, 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 t- the tungsten t- qualities of. When does Gus have this little silent moment? Uh, I, almost like a reverse epiphany, where he realizes he has to go back. It's after he finishes the wine and he stares at it. I feel it's kind of. If you want to speak metaphorically, sure. I think it's actually more literal because we, he, we've already been told that the wine is like blood. You know, although he should, someone should have said, "I never drink wine." But anyway, um, <laughs> sorry. Um, I think that's what kind of has him button himself back up to his usual closed-off self. So that's why the I and in my mind, I I, I decided when he went back home. Those, that house that he had thrown open the shutters, he then would he's probably drawing the curtains back on this part of his life as well as everything else. Well, and you know, I'm talking about how he kind of, he's chosen a path. Um, I, I think the path is something that we get to hear later in the scene with Mike. Um, he chose revenge. He chooses revenge. He's letting go of all opportunity to have uh, just real happiness because he's choosing revenge. A lot of the little key points for characters in this episode, uh, as you've already mentioned, so I'll just, I guess in a way, I'll be echoing you for a change, um, kind of either foreshadow or parallel each other and they're like key decision moments, whether they're time. monumental or not, um, such as the one we're about to get to right now, which is when we're going to pick back up with Mike because I want to tie a bow on Mike's story for this episode, yes. I mean, because when we last left Mike departing down that tunnel, again, um, to, to, to just to, 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 to mock you-know-who just for one more time in, the, in this podcast, it's the face acting. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> no, but the, there's a but there's a lot of great moments with Mike. E- even Mike's shadow, or at the at the end of that tunnel with the, the, the pausing here and there, where there's so much you can read into it if you choose. Um, Brian, I loved how you described um, what Mike does when he gets home as far as for and as far as 
you know, uh, putting, when he puts the gun away under the floorboards, um, I, that's spot on. It's exactly how I was going to say it. It's the physical manifestation of him trying to bury, um, that part of himself, you know, which in, in its own weird way is almost a, a mirror of bur- the burial at the super lab as well. Um, everything reminds someone of every, in the, in, in the sequence of scenes, everything reminds someone of something else that leads them somewhere. The mousetrap game that's in his living room reminds him of his granddaughter's relationship, which reminds him of family, which then takes him back to thinking about Nacho's dad because he, because he had seen the ID. Mm-hmm. And it's interesting here. Um, the, this moment when he's making the decision, when he's thinking about the fact that Nacho's father doesn't know. And it's interesting for viewers, at least the, the vast majority of viewers who have watched Breaking Bad first and then this, not the few oddity odd, odd folk who didn't, you know, I don't know if they'll listen to this podcast or not, don't care. Um, it's interesting that we can fast forward in our minds to what eventually happens to Mike on Breaking Bad, how we know his granddaughter might not ever know the truth about what happened to him. Now, Mike obviously doesn't know that himself, but it's it's just one of those eerie kind of like little little, little nice little parallels in there. But he knows the fact that Nacho's dad, dad not knowing, it's, it's kind of awful. And also, unlike Howard's family, this is a situation he feels maybe he can do something positive. Maybe he can bring closure to this family, to Nacho's father. At least that's what he thinks. Now, if anyone would like to take it from there. Dad, would you like to for a change? That way no one can interrupt you. <laughs> Dan, is Dan your mic working? <laughs> that's, that's so Dan's phone stepped in and over-talked him. <laughs> sorry, I, sorry, I, I, was, I was muted. What, what, was, what was your question? Sorry. <laughs> oh. By the time I got my phone back on, I don't remember what you asked. So. <laughs> okay. okay, Brian, I think you should jump in on this because I think that um, you as a dad uh, and have a young man son who is, you know, not that far in age. I think it, I want to hear what your, your take yeah, is on I, this. Yeah, I can't speak to that at all. Good point. No. Yeah. You are muted. Shh. Go back to mute. Shh. Oh my god! I'm going to be editing all night. Uh, Thanks, I don't guys. like it when mom and dad fight, so I'm I'm uncomfortable. You're uh, out. Uh, no, I I think uh, you know Mike. Mike has very complicated uh, relationship problems with fathers and their children, and I think sitting alone, you know, watching a baseball game, it's almost like the telltale heart. Like, like that idea is talking to him. Yep. And he has to go back and get it out from under the floorboard and comes up with this idea, I think, to, to feel something like he's done something. And that part of his humanity that, that you know, isn't gone, uh, wants to do something kind. Um, and it, you know, it backfires. It, it backfires, I don't want to say spectacularly, but he sort of goes to do something for Nacho's dad, but Nacho's dad's the one with the wisdom. It's it's sort of flipped on him. And let me say, it was a nice touch to see Nacho's dad and get a moment with him. 
and to have him sort of show a true civilian who has a sense that all the the values and stuff that that even though Mike's trying to do something good, it's still rooted in the values of this cartel system, and it's not anything a person outside of that world would view as you know worthy or i mean I, it would would it make me feel any better to know my son like was dead but i'll never find his body <laughs> you know like like is that really gonna make me feel better uh so it was kind of nice and, and i thought there was a great shot where you know that that nacho's dad doesn't even let him in the fence that that fence is kept between them yeah. Which is both, you know, possibly an interesting political statement of our time. Um, but that, that you know, Nacho's dad doesn't let him in the front door at all. Right. Doesn't let and, him in his world. And not only does he not let him cross that fence, the, the angle turns so that you get the side view of the fence and it kind of looks like Mike is in a cage. And and he's 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 trapped and is I think that yeah he's a dad and yeah we he has some sense of obligation to civilians but I think another drive that Mike had in this is that he needed to feel like it was okay like he's always got to have something that's like it it and and it's the same it's it's mirrored with so many of the characters I am doing all of these bad things for a good reason. You know, yes, he's a great grandfather to his granddaughter, to his to his dead son's daughter, and and he's a great father-in-law to his dead son's wife, and he does and does everything he does for them and puts the money away and all of this. But here's a dad looking him in the eye and saying, "You're one of them. It doesn't matter why you think you're doing this. Like, there's no end to revenge. Like, you are a part of it." Uh, and then that that angle turns, and we see. We see Mike in that cage. Hmm. It's interesting. Yeah. Oh, go, Dan, go ahead. Yeah, I, I, you know, I think Mike definitely, you know, thinks he's trying to do the right thing, and he has his code and stuff like that. But, but a lot of it's too. It's just, you know, I mean, it's it's somewhat self-serving. I mean, he's got guilt because of you know Maddie getting killed and stuff. So he's, he, you know, he looks at the, you know, granddaughter's toy mousetrap or whatever the fuck it was, and. uh uh, you know, that reminds him of that and just, you know, goes to do that. But, but, it, but in a way, he's just still trying to find a way to work past some of that guilt because, you know, he still, you know, feels responsible for it and stuff like that. And, you know, he he respected Nacho and he respected his dad and he, you know, didn't want them involved yeah. in this stuff. It's, that's true. But, 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 you know, it's not a totally altruistic act, I guess, as most things aren't. And it's kind of a defining difference, too, between the civilian. Uh, and the gangster, right? So Mike, he thinks about Nacho fondly. He cares about him. He's his guy, right? But he he thinks that going and talking to his dad might... Like, there's some honor in the way that he went. You know, when he's like, it was, you know, it was no pain, clean death. Like, just some of the language that he uses. And here's this dad that's like i don't give a shit about any of that you're telling me my son is dead why do you not understand that you're on that side of the fence (laughs) you know but he's he's so like you can you can tell that he was always an honorable and good father to nacho 
because he 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 says it in such a way of you need to figure this out yourself. I, I think that the I think you hit on a key point that you know th- there's there's an admiration for being a stand up guy amongst wise guys. Yeah. You know, if you're yeah. a parent, I don't give a shit if my kid's a stand up guy. I want him to come home. Right. Yep. Um, I think all of you hit different facets of the same jewel. So I, I and I, I liked a lot of most of what you guys said. Um, interesting. Uh, uh, when you were talking about the reason why Mike does what he does, and once again, I can't help but think um, how everybody loves loves Mike. Mike's Mike's everybody's favorite character. Everybody roots for Mike. Like like Mike Mike Mike. And yet at, the, yet at the heart of it all, um, Mike's rationalization, at least up until the end, is what we were told Walter White's rationalization was for everything mm-hmm. until the very last episode. Yep. And Mike does a lot of bad stuff from yep. the get-go. Just saying. Number two, what's interesting about this is Mike is not able to have to, – to, to prov- Mike is not able to, prov- to even attempt to provide this kind of closure – for people when actual civilians have died he couldn't he, uh, he he didn't he wasn't he didn't do it for um the engineer and his family as far as i can recall as far as i've been told he didn't have that kind of moment with them he didn't do it with he obviously wouldn't do it as far as what happened with howard um i don't you know probably didn't have anything with the jane thing either whatever not that he was really that connected to that one at least um it's interesting this is the, the moment that he feels he is able to, because it was someone who was, even though he doesn't use the phrase, Nacho was in the game. His father wasn't. Um, the unfortunate thing is Mike doesn't take into consideration the fact that of Nacho's father's feelings about the whole situation to begin with. So as you guys said, he's not going to take any consolation in the things that he points out. Um, I would say, the, do, do I disagree with Mike trying to do it in the first place? No. I think um, you would, and I'm, I'm I'm the one non-parent here, but I would think you would at, at the very least would want to know if your child is dead or not, right? Because uh, rather than just you know go on wondering, hoping, missing, whatever. I mean, yeah. hey Jamie, we can draw a funny parallel between this oh, and Brian. You watched it too. Um, this and you know. Dustin telling, you know, Eddie's dad at the end of Stranger Things that, that, that his son actually is, actually is dead rather than missing, rather than having go on searching for him and wondering about him. So uh, I think there is something like that uh, at work here, more, more like that Nacho didn't abandon you and didn't leave you without telling you. He, he, he died, but at least, but Mike thinks by telling him he died with honor and that he, he didn't feel any pain would make a difference. But as you guys have already pointed out, but it's not going to matter. But I, I love the scene because of everything you guys said and the fact it's it's just one more gut punch to Mike. And even if we don't necessarily see it as being a transformative moment the way we've done with Gus and, and what we're going to see that happens later in this episode, I still think what happens and the culmination of all these actions does set Mike on the path that we see him on throughout Breaking Bad, and because I, yeah, I, I think all these layers of being naive are like peeled away, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. He, he's 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 become much. He he's even, if possible, he's actually more hardened. 
by the time we see him in Breaking Bad. And we can imagine it's through the events that we've, we've just seen because we know that he's, he's done things, but it's, it's made him ache to do those things. I, again, I may be forgetting something. I probably might, but I don't know if we really got much of a sense of that in Breaking Bad. I don't think we did. Okay. No, but by that point, he was definitely kind of a lot more hardened. But, but yeah, most of these actions, uh, you know, the civilians that have been, uh, you know, wasted as of uh, consequences for Mike, you know, it's just like he's got all this guilt over his son and just one, it just, no matter what, you just, other people keep getting killed, you know, if it's the dude at Western Union getting killed because, because Warner yeah. gets out or, or the guy that gets killed when, you know, because of Mike's, uh, you know, uh, stopping trucks in the desert shenanigans. It's just, <laughs> you know, he keeps, you know, trying to do whatever, trying to alleviate his own guilt, but just no matter what he does, it just, it's, you know, it just keeps piling on. And none of it ever gets better. It's a bit like, uh, it, you know what it's like? It is like Kim or Jimmy um, being who they are. Jimmy, Jimmy, Jimmy always being Saul. Um, and then trying to get a job as a lawyer and doing good things um, and helping people who need his help. And it just more and more people keep getting hurt. It's sort of like with Mike is this is just probably who Mike is. He became a police officer trying to feel like maybe he could do something that he was helping. Um, and then that went south while he was an officer. It got his son killed. Uh, and he just continues down this path because that's who he is. Okay, so let's move on to the Jim and Kimmy. Kimmy and Jimmy. Jimmy storyline. Um, I love the fact that we have them returning to HHM. And everything that happens there. It's appropriate. Because this takes us back to when we first met these two together um, in the very beginning of the series. The fact that they even have Jimmy noting the new trash can, we can instantly recall that <laughs> dent he kicked in into it what feels like an eternity ago. And it's around this time when they enter and they go and they end up, it's when they actually end up in the conversation with uh, Schweikart there. I feel it's my, my sworn, I don't need no articles, I just have my eyes to read things. It's around here. We are fifty <laughs> minutes into the episode. No, I don't. I'm Scott. I don't. I don't. I don't need other things. Fifty minutes into the episode, it's the first time we hear Kim speak. Fifty minutes into the episode, because we never heard her speak during the montage. There's always music. We yep. never heard her when she comes home. And, Jimmy's talking. And, she and never Jimmy was. Yeah, Jimmy was doing all the talking. That was definitely a you know foreboding, uh, like you said earlier. You know, Jimmy was doing all the talking, mm-hmm. and all I could find was like, oh, and I, cause I, I, I knew in advance that this was kind of a major episode, and when I'm watching all that, like, oh, it's, and once again, I kept thinking, mother, okay, we curse on this podcast, motherfuckers. Episode after episode, they keep jumping further than we think they're going to. They wrap yeah. up the Lalo thing faster than we think they're going to. They just this was supposed to be the last episode or next one. No, no, we've got four more to go. Anyway. So while during that conversation with Schweikart, we hear a little bit about how, uh, the law, the HHM is going to be downsized and they're going to change their name, which, you know, you can say on, on the surface, 
explains maybe why we don't hear about this a lot from in Breaking Bad. I think the significance is more about it's cutting Jimmy that much more off from his McGill identity. Because now that, now that's been a, his brother's name on this firm is now being erased. It erases him. This is even underscored at the end of the conversation with Rich when he kind of half seriously corrects himself, calling him Saul instead of Jimmy. And they keep, it's like, oh, they keep, oh, they're hitting it. They're hitting it hard. But the major moment of significance and where I'm going to leave it to you guys to talk about before I step in is Jimmy and Kim. They go up the stairs. And yes, for all the people out there, yes, it's even symbolic when you're walking upstairs. We had dreams uh, to pay their respects to Howard's uh, widow, Cheryl. Now, that questioning at Jimmy, that we've seen several times before. And it's, uh, it's as if he's being put on the stand the way Lalo did with him, the way his brother did with him, and so on. And even though he does navigate through it, you know, to some decent ex- extent, and we ta- I mentioned this earlier, you know, how he brings up, you know, his brother and Howard. It's interesting, as I said before, that his story is rooted in truth. And that and that's at the heart of the issues Jimmy had with both Chuck and Howard. But it's what Kim does, which is what is of great significance in the scene. And this is when I will throw it to whoever raises their hand. For Of course, it's going to be you. It's going to be me. All right, Pumpkinhead, go ahead. Okay. Um, first of all, this is just really fun. So the pictures that we have at Howard's Memorial, those <laughs> I, are not Howard. I knew you were going to go with – I'm just going to say, <laughs> yes, I knew you were going to go with the, that first. I know. Those it. are Patrick's picture from his Instagram account. Like, they're on there today. Go look if you want proof. It's there. Um, but the first thing, before they go and they, they go over and they speak to Howard's wife, just a note. Everybody saw it. We've got that Zoom onto them setting the glasses down. Do you think that that was just – a, a general move to like transition transition into them walking over to the conversation, or do you think there's some significance to this? Like four or five seconds we had watching them set their glasses down. Because I think it's significant. I th- I think late. they both set their glasses down because not knowing what they're walking into. Um, you don't want to appear nervous. You don't want to appear shaky. You want, you know, you don't want anything you have to hold on to. Yeah. Um, I think they both are sort of getting up their nerve to go talk to her, knowing they have to pull off a performance. So they set their glasses down. And it's like interesting because they don't talk about being, it. They right, both just sort of unconsciously do it. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I I know that there's there's some people that have been questioning it and I did myself. So I just I didn't wanted to know what your guys' take on it. Some people think that it's a foreshadowing thing. I just don't think we have enough time in the story that we're really gonna be dusting for prints. I just I don't think but I knew that there's some purpose that they show these glasses being set down by the two of them. I just I I just wanted to to, I felt like it was a matter of they wanted to mark it as not being too casual of a conversation. Because um, you go up to someone with a drink in your hand, it's kind of a party. Like they knew that they were walking <laughs> to something serious. So, okay. You know, I'm going to be stone cold serious with you right now because I will admit to stupidity as well as uh, brainiac stuff. I, I don't even remember what you're talking about. So, okay. I have no recollection of it. I can one up Scott because I noticed the glasses, but I was more focused on the fact that we've got 
we've got Cliff Main here. We already have two lawyers <laughs> in the chore, two lawyers on the show that were also killed on Star Trek Voyager, that are now killed on this show. So Patrick Fabian and Michael McKean both appeared and died on Star Trek Voyager, as did Ed Begley Jr. So I was just wondering, if, who's coming for Cliff Main here? That's who's that's coming all. for Cliff? All right. <laughs> And, I appreciate I appreciate the throwback, and I didn't even think about that. I'm, and I'm I'm just going to throw in also. I mean, it, it's meaningless at this point. But uh, the saying that they have that they had to go talk to her. I, it should be pointed out, like, hey, by the way, they didn't have to. No, they didn't they, have they, to. They, no, that, they that, didn't that, have to. That, they that could was have avoided. It wasn't like talking to the police yeah. or something. Right. They could have avoided that. So, yeah, but I, think I also. Punish themselves a bit. Yeah, there might be some inner psychological like fuckery in that. But then also not being in there and not talking to her in in their mind could have raised flags itself. So Mm. they're kind of covering their bases. What they did not have to do. Okay, Jimmy did have to talk to her and give his story or his version of his story based off of his truth. What didn't have to happen was Kim completely fabricating a lie in history of somebody's character who's already gone through the ringer and is dead on their behalf. And she just, she, she drives it in, not just the story to kind of like back up their story. It's, it's where she says, Oh, I'm sure you would have known. Like, you're his wife. You would have known. That is like A-class mean shit. Like, that's that's Kim being as bad as she has been. And, And that statement right there. Because now she has laid psychological damage and responsibility for everything they did just got laid on this woman's lap. Mind you of somebody? Yeah. And now... And now... Kim has completely, she doesn't have a Saul, but whatever it is, she is now in that line. Okay, I'm going to be the turd in the punch bowl here. Um, <laughs> sh- that Cheryl, going, going to be? <laughs> Cheryl, I, I, I think this is for appearances. And I will say, if you go to a memorial, it would be looked upon extremely weird to not approach the widow or the husband just to even offer token right. condolences. So, so I mean, in their mind, with them running scenarios, they think it's better for them to approach her than to not. Sure. Now, that being said, what happens between Kim and Cheryl, I don't like what Kim did, but I think Kim is just trying to make sure that, that Cheryl is off the scent to protect them. And my sympathy for Cheryl is not super high um, because Howard was really trying to, we see him trying to really work on whatever problems they had going to therapy, mm-hmm. you know, making her the, the, the perfect piece, you know, cappuccino that she quickly discards <laughs> and ignores. Um, I don't love the idea of people who aren't, being great to the people around them suddenly being made saints uh, when the person they love dies and then, you know, giving, being given an exalted status where they're not responsible. 
yeah. on some level if he is an addict. Uh, now, we know he's not, and, and the guilt she may face from her actions uh, to consider that maybe she was a part of that. Um, but the very fact that she's having to ask those questions and herself isn't sure tells you that she wasn't in the place she should have been for her husband. Um, oh, yeah. The very fact she's unsure of it, she didn't really know him well enough to know if he was doing that or not. And I thought the best thing in the whole scene is the only good person in the scene is Clifford Maine mm-hmm. because yep. she directly asks him and he's like, this is not the place, you know, to talk about something like this. And he tries to maintain a level of decorum and respect for, for the memory of Howard for her and you know the only person to me that that came out of it that I felt good about was him I didn't like what Kim did but I understood it I did I don't like Cheryl but I understand it you know so I, I, I my take on it's that is that that I think they did the calculus and said we have to say something to the widow Jimmy says the truth which is very believable Kim being more thorough and more clever than Jimmy drives it home to throw Cheryl off the scent. And I think that's what it's about. Well, if you look back at the entire, (laughs) if you look back at the entire um, plan, the whole Howard plan and all the post-it notes, Kim was the one that pretty much direct everything. You know, it was Kim directing and calling most of the shots. So, you know, yeah, this just kind of correlates. And I mean, it's just, it's, it's just the final punch, you know, um, they're, they're willing to make it look like he was a drug addict at the beginning of this. It's an easy way to finish up their story. It gives them a safe backing. It keeps them clear with Mike, but what she said to him, even, even though we know Saul eventually just goes full forward and will say anything up until that point, that's not something that is not something Jimmy would say. It's it's just it's not. That is it's it's clever. It keeps it keeps the scent off of them. But it's just a notch further than what Jimmy would do. And I think that's why we get our parking lot scene following, because she knows it. Dan, did you want to say something before I say anything? Uh I suppose I can my may I attempt to? Um I, I just want to, you know, you touched on it earlier, but I, I appreciated that Rich took the time to actually get, get, you know, Saul's name right, just the attention to detail and, like, showing a little bit of respect to just, like, you know, correct himself. It's just, like, it just kind of seemed like a stand-up move to me, like him actually just making the effort to get it right at, at a time like that. He's I've, always the professional. I've grown to like him more and more as the show has mm-hmm. gone on, for sure. Um, circling back to the Kim stuff, uh, um, my brief take on it would just be, um, it's her big lie. It's bigger than all the rest. It's the most stomach churning one that she's done. Yes. It's absolutely, she does it to protect them because Charlotte is persisting on what she's saying. And this could be the thread that unravels everything otherwise. And that's sure. how she sees it. But 
her way, what she's doing is shifting the focus back onto Cheryl and the failings of their marriage that they only just found out about, you know, 24 hours ago. Um, like, so then you have the line like her saying, shortly you would have noticed, because she knows that if they've been estranged and sleeping separately for the past year, as Howard told them, can she honestly say she would have noticed? The problem for what Kim is doing here, it is figuratively and, and tragically, it's the final nail in the coffin of Howard's reputation and legacy. This is the thing they believed once upon a time they could damage, but then would be fixed within weeks or months or whatever, however, Howard, however long it would take Howard to rehabilitate his image. Unfortunately, now Howard's brains have been splattered across the living room wall, and that is not going to happen. And she just makes it that much worse. Um, yes. So thus, and when I made my little reference, I'm sure most people got it, but you know, <laughs> there's some Fisher Price folks out there, so I'll make it clear. Um, she's she's again, she's making a Walter White move here. It's a very Walter White move mm-hmm. kind of thing. Yeah. And if you think about it, we're like, oh, that's wow. This this reminds me of especially when we get to like seasons four and five. This <laughs> is really the kind of shit he pulls. You alluded yeah. To, yeah. you alluded to it, so I'll get to it right now. The kiss in the parking lot. Yes, the parking lot. Again, uh, that that parking lot's been so key. Um, I think I would only say the moment we see it happen, and I don't want to get I don't get too bogged down in just this one moment because I do want to get to the rest of the episode. I personally made a note right then and there. Did she just drive out of Jimmy's life? Yep. In that moment, I thought that was it, and then yeah, of course I we, knew we see. This, the- Yep, the second she leaned in and kissed him and looked at him for a second, I was like, she's saying goodbye, she's saying goodbye. Oh my God, she's saying goodbye. I didn't even think we were going to get a scene with him at the apartment. Like I thought that was like, that was goodbye it, it, right it, there. Yeah, and I, and I remember thinking just for that that, that moment, like, you know, I, I might be okay with this, but I think a lot of people are going to get really pissed off if that's how the hell they're going to handle this. But no, yeah. we get we, 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 we then knock to Kim in court. And we note, please notice, since... Um, we all are aware of this from the Breaking Bad era, as well as Better Call Saul, and people have spoken about it. Uh, there's a fellow who posted a very long video on our Facebook page about it, in fact. Notice the darker colors that Kim is, is, has been wearing, especially in this scene, where it, it, she might as well still be at a funeral, quite frankly. The blue is even a very dark blue. Um, I actually recognize the character actor, Arya Gross, is the, uh, is the judge, and thinking, oh my god, he's been in 10,000 things over the past few decades. I haven't seen him as before. And that is where we learn that she has resigned from the bar. And... Other than this being a slight bit of a wait what moment, um, now we know the writing's on the now wiped clean walls. We switch to, I, I, I'm going to assume it's not really, this scene is not much of a talking point, so I'll keep pushing further to get to the real scene. She's smoking outside. She's smoking on the terrace. Again, that's significant because what has she been doing as of late? She's been smoking indoors. You guys notice she's been smoking indoors, which has shown kind of the. Whether it's been, you can look at it as a metaphor for corruption or being lax about things or whatever you want to call it, but she's back to smoking outside. It's not coincidental. But she does see, you know, from above, she sees Jimmy come home, and that is when we have what I call the scene. So, I know who wants to talk right off the bat about this. But I'm not gonna let her talk first about. It. No, that's fine. I I would I actually I didn't want to talk first about this. So <laughs> okay, Greg. I mean uh, Jamie. Don't worry about it. <laughs> Inside joke. 
<laughs> Best joke of the podcast. Would one of the gentlemen like to take it from here? Dan. I actually missed most of the scene because I was I got pretty drunk by that point and I was being distracted by SDVD podcast listener David Twat. I mean David Twat. <laughs> uh, that's, that's actually a true story, but the one person who's emailed us. Yes, yes. Nutter <laughs> butters no. are superior. Yeah. <laughs> the best thing he's yeah, ever but, said. But no. Anyway, go on. It was it was one of those things where like I didn't you know it, it was pretty clear it was coming, but it wasn't really a, a uh, direction I was expecting the show to go necessarily. As we were all you know imagining all these different scenarios and stuff like that, um, but it was a very uh, you know I guess just the nuts and bolts of the show itself. The way that they did stuff was quite effective. I guess I could see some people deciding it was like a cop out or something, and they're just kind of like you know they're gonna. You know, you know, you know, move the story forward by doing this, so on and so forth, whatever. But, but it was definitely quite the uh, painful, emotional uh, breakup scene to watch. That, uh, uh, you know, everybody. Uh, it, it, yeah, it really was. And to the people who don't like it, I understand. I get it. I understand why they wouldn't like it, or they feel like it's abrupt. But again, that needs to be a. Ha- that needs to be a hat tip to the writers because that is putting you in it. You know, you think that you were doing, they got away with something. Okay. They did this horrible thing. We went through this trauma with them. Oh, look, they got away with it. Everything's going to be, wait, you're leaving. You're just going to be, you're just going to go all these years. And we had this future written out with you and you're just going to go. That's it. That you just, you're done. They, it's how it makes you feel what it would feel like to be Jimmy in that situation. And I watched the entire series again before the uh, second half of the final season aired. And I, I noted that neither one of them, neither one of the Jimmy or uh, Kim ever, ever told anybody, let alone each other, that they loved each other. So once yep. they, uh, it, it really stuck out as just like, a, Oh, this isn't going to go well. It, you know, it, it was, you know, just, it, 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 it upped the ante and how significant it was. Cause I mean, it's been very, very, a lot of episodes uh, without them ever saying that whatsoever. Never uh, saying it. Yep. They never yeah. say it. And until this oh, happens, you once. don't hear them say it. Yeah. Uh, and, and Jimmy says it, Jimmy says it right. And that's, that's, that's his, that's the kiss goodbye from him. Um, and I just want to kind of flash back to what was our first song with the two of them. It, it was say something stupid. It, it just, it all comes together so beautifully. So I can understand where people feel dislodged and upset about it. But if you just take a step back, it is, it's, it's a beautiful circle. Like they, 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 closed that circle so correctly that's my and thought someone else might have a a, a, yeah. a varied opinion it was uh, it was very honest and very painful uh, brian what were you gonna say there uh, i was just gonna say um that we've seen what happens when stuff gets really tough for kim she runs yep and i thought the 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 super effective part of the scene for me was as painful as seeing what happened in the living room was when Jimmy looks at the bedroom door and goes in there and knows like this is not a discussion. He sees her bags are packed. 
and his bags are packed. She's yes. packing his bags. Yeah, that that <laughs> and it, that is astounding to me because it clearly shows he spent all this time going. You know, like we can do this. We can move out of this apartment. And she's like, Nope, you are leaving my life, and I am leaving your life. Because what what was it she said that together we are poison? Yes, and and that that this isn't a problem that they're going to be able to work through. She's made the decision and she's moving on and it's over. The The desperation in him is sad. I think the recognition in her in the way that she does acknowledge that she, that she does care about him and says that I love you, but, but we're just not good for each other. The abruptness to the ending after all this uh, is, is what I think is heartbreaking. And in a way, um, in a way it's more heartbreaking that she's out there and they had this time and it just ended like this. I mean, you know, in, yeah. in some ways, in some ways the person that's still there uh, is, is more uh, tragic than the person who can't be there because they're dead or they're gone. And uh, because you, you can't have another chance, but uh, you know, and I guess the question I have for you all, um, I've not read anything. I've been too busy at work. I just barely could watch the episode till late last night. Do we see Kim again? I'm, Man, I'm not. I go back and forth on it. I feel like they could make it so we don't, and this is this is absolutely okay if we don't. Um, but I one of one of the parts of her exit, and I don't know. Maybe maybe you guys would disagree with me on this, but I feel part of her exit isn't that there that she was traumatized by what what happened with Howard. I feel like she recognizes that maybe she wasn't as traumatized as she should be. Because she keeps telling him, "Oh, I had, I had the, I, had, I had the time of my life. It was we had so much fun, you know. I'm not saying that that moment was fun, but that most people, I think, in that situation, who were truly traumatized by it, thoroughly, would be like, not only are we poisoned, but like that was really messed up, and we, you just, it's." It's like couples who have been together for years and years and they lose a child and then they split. You just can't survive that trauma. So it makes sense that we could overlook that. But I think there's just this little darker edge under her and always has been that she's a realist and she recognized that that's messed up. She well, the, should the, be more upset about yes, Howard than she was. But but I saw this coming by the way she exited the courtroom. Yes. And I know we skipped past that, but I just want to say the thing she was truly good at and she'd worked at was she was going to help that client and mm -hmm. she bailed on that client. Yeah. She just bailed on him. And like that, you know, if you're a lawyer to, to just bail on your client when you have the case ready and you really could help somebody, she bailed on that. She was bailing on everything. And so, I mean, I, I knew what was coming. Oh, absolutely. But, think, well, but we're like one thing I think we're seeing here too is just like a, a uh, like the exact opposite of Mike, where like he thinks he yep. can like make up for some of this shit, and yep. she's just like, no, this isn't gonna work. I'm yeah. not gonna try to like you know, 
you know, solve petty crime cases anymore or, you know, whatever, exactly. just to like, you know, make it better. She's just, she's just more of a, uh, you know, just like, you know, she's, yeah. she's less in denial about the situation. Yeah. Scott, I don't think do that she's over? exactly. And I, I think she, she has a very, very dark side, but I don't think that she's inherently susceptible to stay that way as so many of the other characters that, are in her life and that we've seen through Breaking Bad and Better Call Saul. She ultimately has decided not to go down that road. We've talked about it before. We've seen her turn around and whip her, you know, her U-turns, all of these things. But right now she stopped the car. She sees the signs and she's not going down that road. She's trying to stop it from going any further. And I think that's, more than anything, it's not, we can't recover from this trauma, we can't recover from the bad things we've done. It's just we can't do these bad things anymore because it's going to keep happening. And there will be no way to make it better and no amount of doing the right thing in the courtroom is going to fix what we are capable of doing outside of it. Um, hmm. Now it's Scott's turn to be the turd in the punch bowl. No, that I wouldn't refer to myself that way. The issue, one of the major issues for Kim, especially for someone who's a lawyer, throughout the last four, three and a half, four seasons, is that she's continuing down a path where she be, is becoming more ethically and more morally challenged. Challenges that she used to issue to Jimmy, um, now she's doing those things. Um, culminating what happens this season and then what, what we've seen over the last few episodes. Um, so she's pretty much spot on when she's talking about how they're bad for each other and that they're poison when they're together. And then the thing we didn't touch on, which is significant, is, is she finally reveals that she knew Lalo was alive, and that becomes their one argumentative point here beyond the initial that she quit the, uh, practicing law, was that Mike told her and she didn't tell Jimmy. And then we get to the thing where she, where the whole point of, when she comes down to, like, it comes down to her saying, you know, she, she thought this would inevitably lead to them breaking up, and she didn't want to stop because she was having too much fun. This was an addiction for Kim. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this absolutely. This Kim's addiction. And when you need to stop an addiction, you stop cold turkey. You got to stop. I I don't mind getting a slight... I'll, I'll get very slightly personal, not too much, because I do have some close friends who listen to the podcast. Um, I'll just say that I myself have had a breakup where one of the last things I said in the breakup was, I love you, whatever. And it was the first time I'd ever said it to the person. And I had been with the person for quite some time. So when I, when that happened, that hit me especially hard. That was the moment that hit me personally, because I had a, a definite personal connection to it. And I remember thinking the writers were like, that's, that, that's, that's so true to life. It, 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 it I am actually, this is the first time I'm actually feeling kind of pain watching this scene. Um, seeing the desperation for with Jimmy and, and whatever he can do is so palpable. The thing that's really striking as far as the little details, it's not for me, I, sh- I shouldn't for me personally, it wasn't the fact that he walks in and sees the bags per se. 
it's the fact that when you hear when she leaves the room and she's back and she's doing that, and she's you don't just hear the zipping of the bags. She's the you hear tape. Tape like taping boxes taping boxes together, like you've packed boxes. Yeah. And that was like that's an interesting little detail because there's something even more final about that. Like this is yeah. beyond throwing clothes in a suitcase. This is this is we've just we've just compartmentalized, we've just boxed up your life. Yep. It's over. Um this was something I think look, whether people were in any way whether they were actually just out and not disappointed or they felt it was anticlimactic. There's nothing wrong with feeling that way mm-hmm. because you're, because if you're, you're reacting to a breakup and that's how these things go. And if it felt abrupt, guess what? That's, that's quite off more often than that. Even if everyone around you thinks it should have happened for years, when it happens, it always feels abrupt. And whether there were some that might have thought, oh, they're killing everybody else off, so they're probably going to kill Kim too, then why would you be disappointed that they chose not to kill her? It doesn't make any sense. But I, I think, again, the this show, and I mentioned it earlier, it was the only time I've talked about the show on, on, on social media was on someone's Facebook page earlier today. And I said, one of the things I love about Better Call Saul is that they will constantly either subvert or upend expectations. And they've been certainly doing that with the last several episodes, and they did it again here. And whether there were certain things that we've been talking about in previous podcasts, whether it be them actually break this leading to them breaking up. And by the way, I would assume, no, no, not assume, we talked about it. We all knew what happened was going to break these two up. We were... It was just a matter of how long are you going to drag this out for? Because how how can you continue? The fact that Jimmy, the fact that Jimmy even feels he can continue, that he has all this whatever, almost tells me that when you said towards the very beginning of the podcast that there's a little bit of Saul already in him, the fact that he would be able to move on and 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 think think that he could move on that easily. Is, is a major indicator of that. He, he, it may be dressed up in the fact because he feels, because he loves her and the two of them together can work through this, blah, blah, blah. But at the end of the day, it does come down to that. Um, it, I, I, I don't know if I loved it. I admired the hell out of it. I was sitting there going, wait a minute, we've got four more episodes to go. And once I realized, Oh my God, we've got four more episodes to go. That's amazing. Holy crap. You know, so getting to Brian's actual question about do we think we're, do do we think we're going to see Kim again? Yeah, we're going to see Kim again. Yes. You're not going to have four episodes of the show go on without Kim showing up again. The question is when and where do we see Kim again? Right. This, this suddenly gives, you know, credence and to all the speculative, uh, thoughts out there that maybe we see Kim in the gene storyline, timeline, whatever you want to call it. Especially because she, you know, she's from Nebraska and he's in Nebraska and all that kind of It would not surprise me. All right. Now, it, I can't, I, I think everything will and won't surprise me. I won't be surprised that I will be surprised. Does that make any sense? <laughs> you know what Absolutely. I mean? Absolutely. Yeah. But um, I, I couldn't imagine handling their breakup 
in a way that I would have found more satisfying because right. it's it was never I never felt it was going to be something relating to something that he did to her. I never I never felt it could ever be like that. It would be about the situation is now this is too much for her. She needs she and obviously it had to be Howard being murdered and 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 her being ultimately being, you know, having a major hand in being responsible for that for for it, uh the dominoes falling in that direction. That what was what had to break her out of this track that she's been on. Because every you know, she's been taking she's been having fun. Yeah. And yeah. the name of this episode, title of this episode, as I said from the start, and I forgot to say the writer and director for the first time. I can't believe I forgot to do that because someone rushed me. Uh, no, I'm just kidding. No one rushed me. Uh, fun and games. Because what is it? What is it they say? Sometimes they say it's all fun and games until someone loses an eye, but kind of it's all fun and games until someone gets hurt. Yep. And that's what the, that's what the ramifications are. It's not just someone gets hurt until someone dies, which was, which was Howard. Yes. Yes. So. I mean, it certainly if we if we want to talk about this a bit more, we can. But I would like to get to what happens next because you know it's, it's, it's all right. I'm just gonna do it. Fuck you, people! It's my fucking podcast. All right, been talking about the time jump. We've been waiting for a time jump. I kept saying it's gonna be a time jump. I kept saying the show it's gonna cross over into the Breaking Bad timeline. They have to. They, they, it's the only thing that make once, you, especially once you told me that you know so and so and so and so are going to show up on the show again. I'm thinking, then you're probably going to have to cross. You're probably going to have to jump to 2007, 2008, whatever the hell year it was. We just didn't know it was going to be now, and it was going to be, and that is like the ultimate gut punch. If we go from that breakup to the swirl of, and you realized it. I think you all realized it once because we saw when we saw that revolving bed. It was like going. Wait a minute, and I saw we see that hairline or lack thereof, and we're mm-hmm. like, "Oh no, we, we, we just—it's that house, it's that decor, it's that comb over, it's what we saw at the very beginning of the season." And he is in—it's Saul Goodman. That's—it's. It's the Saul Goodman that yeah. we know. The only difference between the Saul Goodman and what we saw in Breaking Bad is Odenkirk is a little thinner now <laughs> than he was when he did that. You know, he's lost some weight over time. Yes, that's a heart attack. Um, can I say where I'm watching this and just taking it all in and like, and my eyes are, you know, wider, as wide as a cartoon characters. And the moment I hear him mention on the phone, cause he's got the Bluetooth going the whole time, which is amazing. Cause there's that solve for you. And when he mentions the public masturbation, I'm like going, yeah. is this the day he sees Badger? Have we, have we gotten to that day? We have a podcast about that. <laughs> um, and, and then I'll, I'll even go as far as, the suit, what he's wearing. I was like, I know that outfit. I know that suit. I've seen that suit. We know when he wears that suit. I got a little action figure with him. Not the big, not the good one, the, the little tiny shitty one. It's, he's wearing that fucking suit. That's a, that's, that's a Saul Goodman classic. I think I didn't go back to look. So I wish I'd looked before we started recording. Fuck. That might even be the suit that he wears when we first see him. I don't know that it is. I hope it is. I'm, I'm gonna. <laughs> And in those last, in that last minute, when he 
we, we get to the office and we see it's all there. It's all there. And I'm like going, oh, is someone going to walk through that door when they end this episode? They didn't do it. It. I'll tell you right now. I'm totally, it's going to show how horribly, stupidly, retardedly, yeah, I use that word, sorry, people, uh, biased I am. If a certain person had walked through that door, even for just five seconds, and we just ended on that, I would have said, hey, you know, I like Bad Choice Road. <laughs> and I like the other ones that we just had recently. This just became my favorite. <laughs> but they didn't go there. I I also would have been really excited because that's what my prediction was, that everyone went, no, no, no. So I would have been very excited. Well, I believe it was, wasn't your prediction that that would be the final episode? I thought that was your prediction. No, just that that was going to be our, our Cranston, our Cranston drop maybe. But yeah, that, that could possibly happen in the final episode, but that's how I thought Cranston would show up is when we saw him in the office. We're going to see him in the next episode. Um, so, wait, did, you, did you hear something? I thought I heard something. I thought I heard something. Crazy. So, I, I just let's go have a it. brief comment that I'll make about it. Um, I thought, as I thought about this, it was very abrupt the way it did it. It was almost like we were watching a brand new show. Like, the the tones, the, the colors, the everything... And as I look back on it, it made sense at the time. We didn't realize it, but uh, Jimmy and Kim were doing a farewell tour and hitting all the greatest hits. Like they did the parking lot. They did HHM. Like they went through their relationship. um, The balcony. The balcony. Like like they were showing us the greatest hits uh, of uh, Jimmy and Kim. And we didn't realize it, that, that the point was they were doing a farewell tour and here was the new show. And the new show is is the time jump where now, crazy enough, you know, with a few episodes left, we're, we're actually at Saul. And we've always debated, like, will, you know, when does he become Saul? Well, boom, he became Saul. Like, like there's no doubt they put a stamp on it. It was bold. It was lawyered up, man. Yeah. And... You know, the final scene was almost, to quote Dan, um, you know, it was almost like he was Kirk sitting in the captain's chair, you know, on the bridge of the SS Goodman. Yep. Uh, like yep. when, he, when he, he sets everything up and he's sitting there at his desk and they shoot straight on. Uh, and, you know, it was a it was a great ending shot. And and he's all, it's almost like either Kirk or Lincoln. You know, he's sitting there. And uh, yes, so yeah. I thought it was a great ending. Lincoln, I love it. <laughs> What, what's the famous historical document we see on the wall behind him again? Is it, uh, is it the Constitution that's on the wall? So, you know, if we're going to go with ships, then it would clearly be the USS Constitution. So, there you go. <laughs> Ooh, uh, there, you go. there you go. You know, the part that got me is that on one, on one part, it's like, it's all of these, like, you're, you're sad because you, you know that him and, and Kim, that's done. And there's like, now we're in Saul and, we're, we're mourning a few things in this big transition and jump, but there's all these little fun things that we're like, oh, yes, that. And these all these great little things that make us smile and bring us into Saul. But there's one part that, like, just was a gut punch to me. And I think it was it – w- it was the same feeling I had when she gave him the kiss goodbye in the, 
in, in the parking ramp was when he slid his coffee mug towards the camera with the world's best lawyer. And I'm just like, oh, God, it's for real, real now. <laughs> it's just like we've moved on to the mug. So it was it's hard seeing those words. You know, it's like seeing those words coming out of uh, being written on something else, like hearing the words come out of somebody else's mouth after there's a breakup. And that that little slide to me was like that was the the ouchiest part of Saul being there. I think what I appreciated the most about this time jump is that they didn't do a uh, uh, Jimmy transferring into Saul uh, montage, which you know, like mm-hmm. which they you know you could definitely see them do. There but you just, go. they've they've had enough elements of stuff like that, you know, where just you know things in the past where it's just kind of nice that they just didn't do that. I mean, it would have been fine. They probably did something good, but it, you know, just it just it's just different than that. Since you just gave me the idea, I'm going to uh, I'm going to deliberately disagree with you because I would have liked a four year long time lapse photography thing of Jimmy <laughs> be, just, just doing everything all around. It's like just give it to me like in three minutes, condense three or four. Was it three years? I think four years, whatever it is. Three <laughs> It's like have it. You know, you know, do do thing like that. The hair starts to, has to move off. And, and like like the no RV question. like the RV scene with the yes. sky yes. moving right. overhead but, and but for but four yep. years but four years of it <laughs> yeah. not, oh god not, yeah um, come now, on make I, it happen I might be wrong on this I'm but just... is the scene where we first you know when we first have the the camera on the lawyer up on the license plate and it pulls back and you see his vehicle is that the same scene that's in our like opening of the show with the with the License plate in the vehicle. It's the same vehicle, isn't it? Like everything's the same. I I could be wrong, but to me, it was all like, oh, I could hear the music the second I saw, the second I saw the license plate and the camera pulled back, and you could see the bumper of the car. Like I heard the the theme music. I I'm I feel like it's the no same shot. Oh, you're talking about what, what, yeah, what, the opening what, credits. The opening credits yeah. because they they have the revolving yep. things involving him. The, the, the right, it changes the every so. Uh, yeah, I, I, yeah, I had no yep. fucking idea what you were talking about. Um, it could be. I mean, it's it might be. It's not. It, it wasn't really being a difficult shot to recreate. So I don't know if they would have. I mean, maybe the maybe just to save money, maybe they might have done that. I don't. I don't. I, I I couldn't say for sure. I don't know. I would assume. See, my my feeling is. If I'm recalling what you're talking about, um, that I, the, the way those things were shot might uh, and, and might might also involve different uh, camera technology, so it might not be the same shot. I, I, I honestly don't know. I have no interesting. Yeah, I I, no I don't know. It's just as soon as I saw it, it was like it was just like that intro all over again, and that's where we, you know, when we have our our Lady Liberty like blow up Lady, Lady Liberty thing, and like all of those different things that we were getting from the opening credits throughout the years mm-hmm. have sort of kind of made an appearance in this season. So I just there was another thing, and I I didn't know if it was pulled from it or if they just recreated it or if I was totally wrong and they just. That's the license plate, and I'm making the connection. I, I, I don't know. I'm just these to me, these are all just these. Every every time we've seen the opening credits, they're just you know foreshadowing indicators of things that we'll see in Breaking Bad because that's what they're all you know based on. Mm-hmm. So questions, right. um, all, some slight, semi-serious, and then maybe a few serious ones here. Um, I'll start off with a semi-serious one. A serious one. Uh, the 
there could be a residual amount of disappointment, the fact that we have this time jump now, that we went immediately from the breakup to now or now it's X number of years later and it's all going. It, it looks like it, if it's not the day, it's within, we're, we're within days of him meeting Walter White and Jesse Pinkman and, 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 and all that stuff. Um, are there regrets? Therefore, if we don't circle back, we don't know what they're going to do these four episodes. We don't know if they're going to completely be Saul and, and then some Gene. We don't know. They, they, they are unpredictable, as we said. If we don't go back to Jimmy at all, are we completely okay with that? That Do we feel we've had enough of that and it's okay to, to, to leap to this? Or do we? Ha- or should there be any kind of misgivings about that? Or do we just say, once Kim walks out of his life, that pretty much, that's what greases the skids for him, so to speak, to just fully go go full Saul, where now he's he's not he's not even forming uh, relationships much, so much as you know he's you know he's sleeping with hookers and 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 whatever, which 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 I have no problem with, but just saying, you know. but it is telling that's the first thing we see. <laughs> he's in bed with a hooker. You are. I think you've muted yourself, Jamie. We don't hear you. Sorry about that. I have. I have muted. Uh, I muted myself. I didn't mean to. But the. Um, I don't have mixed feelings on it because on one hand, uh, I'm just sad because we don't want to lose Jimmy. Right. You know, it sucks to let him go. So there is that thing. But then, just as storytelling and where we're heading, I. I feel like I almost have to be okay with that's where we let him go because if I really rely on this idea that Kim is what allowed Jimmy to be there to begin with, then I have to accept the fact that he, it, that's the last we see of him really. I mean, with any real context. So I, I, I don't like to say goodbye to him, but I, I'm, I am fully capable and ready to move forward. <laughs> and, and and not see him again. Yeah, I, until I, I think maybe he comes back with Gene. If he can come back with Gene, maybe. Dan. Yeah, I think I think it's, I'm fine with it how it is. I don't think they need to go backwards. I think that Jimmy's run is course. I'd be okay if you know maybe they did something weird like maybe Gene will have like a black and white flashback of like you know Jimmy and Kim doing something like towards the end or something like that, which would be kind of an interesting thing to do. But I I don't and they don't really need to have any more Chuck flashbacks right. or anything like that. But something yeah. like that would I could I could see working without being redundant in any way. But other than that, I think we've it's it's time to just stay where they are and move forward, not backwards. Huh. I, I I agree I agree with Dan and I wish, um, but I will say with a caveat: there's four episodes left. We don't know where it's going to go. Right. If we don't circle back, if we don't circle back to at least a memory of who he used to be, yeah. Um, and, and we don't and we don't go to Omaha. We don't you know do enough there. I I, I mean they have to. If if they don't, then then I think I'll be disappointed. Uh, if you're not going to have any more Jimmy, we need a substantial amount of Gene. Yes. And uh, I, I don't just want to drop into Saul's world for four episodes. Right. Yeah, I'm kind of hoping they do maybe like two episodes of Saul, an episode of Gene, and then just like they go like farther forward and something else happens. I don't know. Who knows? Um... Yeah, 
I, I would say uh, what I said last time is um, I said I said that and I'm sticking with it that um, I have a belief that you know, either it's the penultimate episode or the next penultimate episode that we're going to go a full gene episode. The fact that they le- leapt to Saul Goodman at this point to me makes that feel more likely than it would have before because I don't I. I do not imagine that we will spend four full episodes or or close to four full episodes that we'll just get a little, a little smattering of Gene or something with Saul Goodman at this point. Because the, the, the difficulty in doing that is this. Yes, you can watch his character and have the memories of five and a half seasons of Jimmy. That's fine. But he's not Jimmy. And he's not... And they may have a, a little... They, they 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 can get they can get away with a look here or a line there, but you really can't go much beyond that. For Saul Goodman, you can't have Saul Goodman suddenly having like these little Jimmy moments. It wouldn't be because of where they leapt to. I'm sorry, it wouldn't be true to where his character is at that point. Mm. I I would have to call bullshit on it, and and I know that's and that might be bothersome to some people because they've grown to. You know, they went from, oh, Saul Goodman was kind of this bastard, but he was comic relief and we really enjoyed him and he was fun, but now we really care about him as Jimmy. He's like, well, I'm sorry, guys. I get that. But guess what? It's Saul Goodman again. <laughs> and while I don't doubt there will be a moment somewhere, but overall, it, you can't you can't lean into that because no. that's not who he is anymore. I love no. the fact that we have four episodes that they they pulled the rug out from under us and, and did it in this fashion. That for a show that's a goddamn prequel, that a show that we know the ultimate fate of all the major characters that were that 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 they brought that they started the show off with that we had seen before, that there are still that many que- questions going to these four episodes. The fact that we just resolved Kim, the fact that we supposedly, the fact that we're we're at Seoul, we're still like, wait a minute, there's four episodes. <laughs> what are they gonna do? I mean, we, yeah, we got to get back to Gene, blah, 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 whatever. What are they going to do? I love that. It's yep. fascinating. That, And so people being disappointed by it, uh, I'm not going to take the tech that I have in the past, and some of us do from time to time, where we kind of knock people who feel a certain way about things. I'll use that for, I'll say that, I'll say that for other podcasts and other shows and other, or movies, whatever. Like, you know, fuck people who didn't like the Batman movie, that kind of shit. Um... <laughs> <laughs> you always going to hear that. Ah, fuck him. Anyway, um, but here, what I said to someone who was ha- had misgivings about the episode, I said, you know what? This is the kind of episode I think you need, sometimes you might need to sit with it. You might need to think about it. You might need to rewatch it. And you might change your mind about it if you, f- if you had a, a somewhat negative feeling about it at first. I, I I said it's like it's like those who had a, an immediate negative reaction to something like the final episode of The Sopranos or something like that. But when you went back and you watched it again and you thought about it, you start to come to terms with it and then you start to appreciate it and then you amaze yep. and start to love it, which is what happened to me. For this, uh, I felt positive about it from the get go, and the more I thought about it, the more I really loved what they did. Uh, again, there's a certain audaciousness to it which the show has always been in my mind. And again, I, they got me. I was like, okay, I said there was going to be a time jump. I didn't think we would get it. 
with four more episodes to go. (laughs) So hats off to them for pulling that off. I do know the next episode's title is, I think it's Nippy, if I'm not mistaken, which means it's the first title of the season that breaks the blank and blank thing. I don't know if that ruins the theory of the... Hold on. What's the title of it? I think... Nippy? Give me a second. I have it in... I, I wrote it down... Nippy. Because that, yes, as in it's nippy yeah, outside. Okay, so, right. It's, so, okay, that's leaning into my my predictions just a wee bit. Maybe. Uh, yeah, it's referring to the cold, cold winters of Omaha, Nebraska, exactly. No. Uh, I thought she was talking no, about nipples. I, I, I don't know what she's talking about. It's always about nipples with this girl. Jeez. No, um, kind of thinking about our timelines that we talk about with, like, when are we possibly going to be able to see... Cranston, what what's the predictions? Like, how is his next, character coming in? Next episode. But we kind of, yeah, next we episode. kind of matched up, though, next that episode. the timeline, Gene's timeline, matches about the same timeline that um, Walt was in the cabin in the winter. <laughs> if we see him in the Gene timeline. Oh, I see. If he if he arrives in the Gene, Gene timeline, it is the time he's supposed to be in hiding in the cabin that's what that it's that's the timeline now what you were saying about with the four episodes and if you know we don't want to see Saul going having moments of Jimmy and things like that one thing that these writers have always been true to since Breaking Bad into Better Call Saul is never have they ever written a single line for a character that was out of character they have always been honest with what that character stands for and what direction that character would logically go to they've never lied to us they never pandered to us just to get attention they will throw treats and little throwbacks here and there but they don't dumb anything down so whatever choices they make i have full confidence that they are going to do right by the characters and they're not going to try to pull any weird fast ones right <laughs> if you enjoyed this podcast not sure if you did it at this point you'll probably enjoy hanging out on our facebook page as well it's the series tv drama podcast page you can like the page and join the conversation about shows like better call Saul, like breaking bad and like so many others that we enjoy talking about both there and on the podcast where can you find us you already found us if you're listening to us but you can also find us on for future reference on spotify amazon music apple podcast and pretty much everywhere where podcasts are available Except for that Pandora thing, I just don't trust it. Um, better still, you can find all 356 of our podcasts on stvdpodcast.podbean.com. Um, that's right, we, we, we know where our podcast like pretty much every other podcast does. You know, screw that guy. Anyway, no, no, I like him. I'm just kidding with him. You can follow us on Instagram. Our Instagram is serious TV drama as one word. Follow us on Twitter. Twitter handle is at STVD Podcast, as in Serious TV Drama. And guess what? If for some strange reason you want to email us, you can email us uh, it's at, at STVD Podcast. Wait, STVD Podcast at gmail.com. Wow, I never even say it. So, like I said, we will be talking about the next episode of Better Call Saul next week. And uh, there might be a surprise podcast that might pop up in the next week or two. Don't know. Depends on a certain schedule of me and someone else. Um, And that's, you know, it'll appeal to some of you if you've watched one or another TV series. 
If you've watched both, you'll be amazed. If you watch neither, you're going to skip it. <laughs> there you go. So I'll stop there, and I will thank everyone here for uh, joining tonight. Um, we can just go around the room, and you guys can make whatever final uh, comments that you wish to make here. So, um, uh, Jamie, would you like to go first, since you're the one whose video is gone? It's yeah, nice to sure. be back. Thanks for okay. <laughs> shut up, Dan. Thanks for thanks for the conversation tonight, and uh, it was good talking to you, Dan and Brian. And uh, if I'm not stuck in the hills of Oklahoma next week, I will uh, I will jump in and and say my piece uh, in seven days from today. I, I'll go next, and let me say uh, this has been an interesting week. Uh, not to get too personal, but there's stuff going on, and. I'll just say uh, the the world lost a huge Star Trek fan this week, huger than Dan, uh, huger than Scott, the first person I ever knew as an adult that thought Star Trek was cool. Uh, my best friend's father passed away. Um, he was a fearless dude. He was liberal before it was cool. He liked Star Trek before it was cool. He was an interesting guy. And so I will just say, Steve, may you live long and prosper. Mm -hmm.